The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Let's go now to Isaiah chapter 45, and we're going to be looking at um, about uh, one and a half, two chapters. And I'm not going to read it all, but we're looking at uh, chapter 45, 14 through... um, the end of 47. Uh, But I'm going to read 45 verses 14 to the end of 45, and then I'll pick up at 4710. So uh, hear now God's Word, chapter 45, beginning in verse 14. Thus says the Lord, The wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans men of stature shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you, They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides Him. Truly you are God who hides yourself, O God of Israel, the Savior. All of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation." You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, are righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Now skip over to chapter 47. I'll begin reading verse 10. You felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am and there is no one besides me. But evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you, you, shall, you know nothing. Stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, with which you have labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may aspire to inspire terror, 
You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them. They cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. No coal for warming oneself is this. No fire to sit before. Such to you are those whom you have labored who have done business with you from your youth. They wander about each in his own direction. There is no one to save you. Pray with me. Our great God, we thank you this morning that you have spoken and your counsel is right. Indeed, it feels so often as if you are a God who is far off and remains silent that you are a God that we worship in vain, that you are a God that never shows up when we need Him. But, O God, you declare that there is purpose in the waiting. There is purpose in the suffering. And that purpose is your glory and our good. O God, I pray this morning you would come by your Spirit and you would do a mighty work among us. Oh, God, your preacher needs you now more than ever. Oh, God, I need you to speak. I need you to proclaim your word. I need you to change our hearts. I need you to change our minds. I need you to go in and reverse the effect of decades of trauma that we might believe that you are a loving and good God, that we might believe that you want to to have us as your own, not to work us as slaves, but to give us rest as children. That, oh God, you want to not bring evil, but good. That you want us to follow you and let go of our idols, that we might experience the significance and the love and the intimacy and the purpose and the meaning for which we've been created, not to lead us unto vanity. Oh God, we need you this morning. Would you come and would you open our hearts, would you open our eyes to see the beauty of your gospel as proclaimed right here through Isaiah, your prophet. Bring glory to yourself, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Cyrus, the Persian king, is breathing down the neck of Babylon. And and Babylon holds God's people. They are in exile. And, And how does Babylon respond? they start evacuating their gods. (laughs) Think about the irony. God does. Isaiah does. And in chapter 46, verses 1 through 2, we read, Bel, or Marduk, bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beast and livestock. These things you carry, speaking to the horses or or the donkeys, are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop They bow down together. They cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. The writer Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is demanding that the readers of the day, and therefore God is demanding that we, the readers of this day, answer this one question, and it is this. Do your gods need to be evacuated when trouble arises? Do your gods need to be sustained? Do your gods need to be groomed? Do your gods need to be insured? Do your gods need to be protected? 
Are the gods that you built, are the things that you give your heart to, are, are, do you have to work to achieve them, exhaust yourself to maintain them, and give up everything good and noble to possess them? This is what Isaiah is asking. This is what he is, is addressing in the lives of his people. Do you have a God that you need to protect from the realities of destruction? I think as we look at this, this passage, we see that we are no different than the ancient people of God. We just aren't. Our idols may be different. We, we have not crafted the idol of Marduk or the, the idol of, of, of Nebo, but certainly we have crafted those things that we bow down to and we say and we demand, give me life, give me meaning, give me significance, be my identity. And as Reverend Rhodes told us last week, Isaiah has been hammering this one theme, and that is this, that we, that God has created a people and redeemed a people for himself, that he might reclaim his world with good and bring glory to himself. Let me say that again. Our mission, as uh, Michael told us last week, in this world, as exclaimed all throughout Isaiah, is God redeems a people unto himself, calls a people unto himself, that, that we might reclaim this world for his good and his glory. And idolatry is what threatens that mission more than anything. Because when we are, are, are activated, when we are, are busy building our own idols, when we are busy searching for our own meeting, when we are out in the world doing what we already have in God, then we cannot be fulfilling the mission of God. That, that's what is being told here. You see, dying to self so as to love God and one's neighbor, being so full of God, being so full of Him that we can be full of them demands that we let go of our idols, demands that we, we stop pining after our idols. Our idols are literally killing us. You see, we weren't meant to create idols to receive meaning from. Do you get that? Do you know it's too much of a burden when, when people say, go find your own meaning. We were not created to go find our own meaning. That's why we're full of anxiety. That's why we're full of worry. That's why we are despondent and downtrodden. Why? Because we are carrying a burden that we were never meant to carry. There is one purpose for, the, for humanity, and that is to bring glory to God and to bring good to the world. To not think about it, but to receive His counsel and to act in faith and to walk by His Spirit and the power of His gospel to see God work in and through us to do His good will. See, it was in this context, in the midst of us battling with wanting to declare our own purpose in life, our own meaning in life, that God stands before His people and says this in chapter 45, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. Salvation means stop your doing and look to me for salvation. Stop trying to save yourself. He said, by myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. Every knee, to me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance or confess that indeed God is God. God wins. Your purposes, <laughs> your spirituality, 
Your crafted idols do not win. God wins at the end. That's the message. He is the sovereign creator and king and sustainer of all, holding the universe by his mighty hand, and he wins no matter the odds. As Michael told us last week with that map, I thought it was brilliant. We, we see the kingdom of Babylon, but then we see the kingdom of the universe. We have a God that reigns supremely over. It feels so small, so insignificant, sitting here or sitting at home, sitting here at Street's Gym or being at home on our couch thinking that indeed God wins when we're watching the news and it seems like he is way behind. When we look at the church and it seems that we got the last draft pick in every draft for decades past, when it seems like we are losing, God says, Oh, you don't have to worry about me and my purposes. I am a God who accomplishes his will, who does what he says, no matter the odds. I am not intimidated. Friends, we have a God who is not intimidated, and he wins, and he wants to win your heart that you might get in line with his mission. So let's look at it. First thing I want us to see is that whereas idols can't save you, they can absolutely deceive you. I read a, uh, an article this week, Christianity Today put out. They, they wrote, um, basically went back to all the interviews that they had done with Billy Graham, and this is after his death, and they wrote an article about his regrets, the things that, that he regretted throughout his um, life. And there were several things. First, he, he said he really regretted trusting presidents too much, and he mentioned especially Nixon, uh, who recorded their conversations together and uh, used them against him and to manipulate his own purposes. Uh, he regretted, he said, um, um, he said he wished he had preached, studied more and preached less. I thought that was profound. And then... He said this, and I quote, I did not spend enough time when my, with my family when they were growing up, and you cannot recapture those years. Even Billy Graham bowed down to the idol of achievement, to the idol of, if I don't preach, they, no one will hear and, will not, and they will not be saved. Even Billy Graham bowed down to the idol of ministry and it let him down. And if Billy, if Billy Graham's idols will let him down, how do you think our idols will let us down? Don't you think that our idols will let us down? Isaiah 46, to whom will you liken me, says God? To whom will you make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver on the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and they worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Do you see what, what God is doing? He is mocking our idolatry. He is mocking the things we look to um, to bring us significance. So what are you building? 
An idol is that which we craft, which we build, so we can set it up, or maybe at the end of our life, look back at it and say, yes. An idol is something that we are drawing the kind of life from that we should be drawing for God. What is it? What are you building? How have you been deceived? It could be anything. It could be a business. It could be a marriage. It could be children. It could be a church. It could be a 401K. It could be your image in the world. It could be beauty or your body or a car or a vacation or sexual or gender identity. It could be a style of life, a feng shui style of life or a minimalist style of life or a midtown eclectic style of life. It could be something really good, and many of, most of the things, if not all of the things I've said, are, are, are good. It, it could be um, um, that, that job that you feel like you are using and, and, and participating in the mission of God in the world. It could be your fight for justice and education. It could be, you can go on and on and on. It, it could be wanting to be known as a, a person of peace and justice, or it can be known as a person who is cruel and strong and can beat up anybody. It can be anything that we build up in our hearts and minds, and we, set on, we, we lift it above our shoulders, as God is saying here. We set it on the pedestal, and we stand back, and we say, I have to have that. And to the degree that we possess it, we, we groom it, and we get life from it, and it's just a mirage. Isaiah 45, 15 uses the Hebrew word to seer, which is translated idols. And the only other place we find this, this uh, Hebrew word is in um, Psalm 49, 14, and the psalmist or, or the uh, translators translate it form. And so what we're reading here is that an idol is a form of something with no substance. Friends, what are you chasing that is just a form of something, but there's no substance? What are you crafting? What are you building? Listen to chapter 47, 8 through 9. Now, therefore, hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one beside me. Do you know what that echoes? It echoes God's voice from the burning bush to Moses. Well, who are you? Who am I going to say, says Moses, uh, you know, is sending me. And God says, tell them I am is sending you. Isaiah picks up on this. God picks up on this. And, and, and we listen, who sits securely and say in your heart, I am. And there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. In other words, I'm secure. God's got nothing on me. God can't do anything to me. All this God stuff, how foolish. I, am, I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. In spite of how sincere you think you are, your sincerity will not save you. Only God can save you. Only God can bring you the kind of life that you want. But then secondly, what we see is that God offers what we want. God offers real and true salvation. 
Some of you interacted with me on Facebook this week. Uh, I was driving down Union, and I looked over and I saw an Arby's. You know that Arby's by Walgreens uh, across from the old Baptist hospital that's no longer there. That shows you. That's old Memphis right there uh, where Elvis Presley died, that old Baptist hospital. Well, there's an Arby's. And the thought just hit me because I think I may have eaten at an Arby's once 30 years ago. Uh, and I still remember the dry roast beef in my teeth. Um, and I just thought, who in the world is giving, who's keeping these people in business? And so I asked that question. I said, who are these people out there put, keeping Arby's in business? And I got, I think we're up to like 140 comments right now. I mean, everybody was coming out of the closet. It was like, oh, oh, yeah, you're the one. I mean, and the winner is the Jamocha Shake, the Curly fly, Fries, or to my absolute chagrin, the Euros. If you have to go to Arby's to get a Euro, you are hurting people. That is just profane. It's horrible. There's nothing right about it. But apparently, as someone told me on my, my thread, they sold 27 million of them last year. We need some real Greek restaurants. Go to the Grecian Gourmet and then go to Arby's and tell me uh, which, which one is real. Um, anyway, so what is it with fast food? What, what is it? I, I looked it up and, and found this quote I thought was right on. Certainly I can relate to it. The fact is junk food stimulates the reward system in the brain in the same way as addictive drugs such as cocaine. There's literally no other... Um, argument for why anybody else would go to Arby's. Okay, that's what I got to say. Um, for susceptible people, which I want to know who those non-susceptible people are, um, but eating junk food can lead to full-blown addiction, which shares the same biological basis as drug addiction. But here's the thing. This is how we behave with our idols. We, we know intellectually, we know that they are going to let us down. We know intellectually that, um, and, and even spiritually and theologically, we know that we should not be doing what we're doing, but we can't help ourselves. We are worshipers by nature. Listen, they have no knowledge, uh, 4520, they have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save them. Why do we keep on working so hard? Why do we keep on pursuing beauty? Why do we keep carving away at our bodies? Why do we keep, why do we keep, why do we keep, why do we keep looking to things that we know are not going to save us? Because we are worshipers by nature. And God is giving us this beautiful, beautiful picture he says, these idols stoop. They bow down together. They cannot save the burden. See, the allure of our, our, our gods, our idols, is control. I mean, it may not be Arby's for me. It's probably Backyard Burger, uh, maybe Wendy's Fries. Sometimes they're um, um, frosty. I can give you my list. It's not Arby's, but believe me, I got them out there. Uh, and and I know these things are not going to satisfy me. I know these, but 
Ah, uh, but I can with I can I can yield control like the Holy Spirit over the waters in creation, and I can bring pleasure and desire, and I can have control for just this one little thing when all of uh, life is out of control. I can have control right here. And folks, we do that with our work. We do it with our marriages. We put the pressure on each other inside of our marriages. You have to save me. You have to act this way. We do it to our children. You have to save me. You have to make me look good. We do it with our employees. We do it with our employers. We do it with our churches and our pastors and our members of the church. We all do it. We demand, give me life and give me life right now, and it will only let us down because we weren't meant to be the ones that bring real satisfaction. And friends, it's not enough just to come to church. And this is what God is saying. When, when he offers salvation, which he is doing several times throughout these verses, when he offers himself as salvation, many times we as, as control-free Christians, we, it's like us going to Whole Foods. We get on our health kick. We take out a second mortgage and fill up the basket at Whole Foods and never really eat much of any of it. And that's how we do. We come to church. We open our Bibles every now and then. We pray a few prayers, but are we ever really opening our hearts and saying, you have to fill me, my work can't. You have to fill me, my, my children can't. You have to fulfill me, the, the, you know, my abilities can't. You have to fulfill me. You have to fulfill me, oh God, because I have nowhere else to go. Friends, that's what it means to find God to be your nutrition, to find God to be your life, to literally lift him up and say, I must have you, to think about Jesus on, on the cross, to think about him being raised from the dead, to think about your sins being genuinely atoned for, to think about God declaring to you, as we saw a few weeks ago, even in Isaiah 42, him declaring, I love you. That is the food for our soul. That is what can propel us throughout the day. That's what can let us and motivate us to say no to our idols. Listen to me, O house of Jacob. It's God pleading over and over, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, and I had to say it, the, the, the king's language is hoary hairs. I've always wanted to say that in a sermon because I hear, heard it growing up, and I, I had no idea what the preacher was talking about. I'm talking about gray hair, which I can fully uh, affirm and praise God for. And to hoary hairs, I will carry you. Why? I have made, and I will bear, I will carry and I will save. Dear friends, do you want to know the difference between your idols and, and, um, and God? Back in 46, Bell bows down, Nebo stoops, their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you beasts carry are born as burdens on your weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together, they cannot save the burden. And yet, look at the, the contrast between this God. He is the God who carries us even to old age. You see, our idols are burden creators, but our God is a burden lifter. That's what Isaiah is saying. 
If you want a God who's going to carry you, if you want a God who doesn't say, come to me and I will work, and I will work you until you drop. And that's our perception of God, isn't it? Because we have crafted an idol. We're not serving the one true God when we are exhausted in serving him. He is the God and the only God that says, that demands, that commands us to rest. Why? Because he, we can. Because he sits on the throne. He rules the universe. He, he is never out of control. And he says, my people, like, uh, unlike all the other people of all the other gods, can take a day off. They can rest, and they can live Sabbath throughout their lives, each and every breath, knowing that I am not driving them to the burden of death and exhaustion. I am not the one who is telling them, achieve, 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 all you fellow Enneagram threes. I am not the one who is telling you to prove yourself and to build something that you can be proud of and that, that I as God can be proud of. Come on. We tried that. It was Babel, and it was, just, it was absolute ridiculous. God is not waiting for you to build something so that he can be proud of you. He has redeemed you through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, and he loves you more now than he will love you tomorrow and love you than he loved you yesterday. There's nothing you can do to get more of his love. That's the God, but that is not your idol. The fact God... Well, well let me say this. Nebuchadnezzar, it, it, was, it was God, not Nebuchadnezzar, who ultimately was responsible for their exile. Chapter 47, 6. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was so bad taking the people of God, and God stands back and goes, yeah, right. You're a pawn in my, on my chess table. And to many of us, and even Cyrus, which we'll read, uh, well, let's go ahead and read it, uh, 46, 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east, talking about Cyrus, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do. We have a God, dear friends, who indeed is working purposefully in our lives. And you say, well, Richard, that's concerning because I've had some horrible things happen to me in my life. But dear friends, what's more concerning, letting chance or the spirit world or your gods somehow respond to how obedient you are or non-obedient you are, or to trust that there is one true God, the God who's revealed himself in creation and revealed himself in his word and who has revealed himself to be the essence of love, giving his only son, seeing his son explode the curse from the inside out through the resurrection rising from the dead, bursting into glory, ascending on high, who will one day come back and, and, and make all things new and usher us into his new kingdom. Is that a better hope? Is it, is it better to trust that God or the God that you have to pray incantations to? The gods that you have to bow down to every morning and get up earlier and stay up later to serve. 
This is what God is saying. He is pleading with us, saying, come to me, because I am the God that will give you rest. Verse 40, chapter 46, listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion, Israel, for my glory. Friends, the Creator knows how to satisfy you. Why? Because He's the one who made you. He's the one who rules over you. He is the one who indeed is God. I had the privilege, and it was in better privilege that I wasn't picking up the tab, but I was with a group, not at Arby's, uh, but a really nice Italian restaurant. And I'd never seen anybody do this, but the person who was paying said, tell the chef just to take care of us. Let me just tell you, um, that was a beautiful thing because the, they just, the waiters just started bringing things, and everything that I ate, it tasted like this human being back in this kitchen, you know, the Oz behind the curtain knew me better than anybody because every bite was more delicious than the bite before. And this is what Isaiah is saying about our God. He is creator. He is the God who is God. He inhabited this earth. He's the one who's ruling all things. He knows what we need. He knows what is best, and we can trust him. Don't be like God's people of old and stubbornly refuse. Chapter 47 ends in absolute horror. <laughs> it, it, it's tragic. Listen to this. Uh, in 47.10, you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me. Do you feel that way in your sin today? Do you, you said, hey, I don't need God. I mean, come on. Nobody sees what I'm really doing. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray. You think you're smarter than God. Friends, and I, I'm saying you. You think I haven't been here? You think this isn't my struggle daily? to think I know better than God? He's talking to his people. <laughs> no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. And then the end, the last words, the last phrase of 4715 is this, there is no one to save you. What Isaiah is saying is simple. We have two ways to go. We can bow our hearts and our minds to the King of glory, and we can say, lead me, O God. We can say, I quit, I resign to your authority, to your wisdom, to your majesty, to your glory. I believe that your purposes for my life are better than my purposes for my life. I trust you in the moment that I'm in right now, even though I'm fragile, even though my life doesn't seem to be making any sense. I believe because I know that you're a God that knows the hairs on my head. You know every molecule in my body. You know every step that I take. You know everything about me. And, and indeed, you are working all things for the good of my life because you're conforming me more and more into the image of Jesus. Dear friends, this is what we are called to. In a, in a few chapters over, in chapter 55, Isaiah will we'll continue pleading, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come and buy and eat. 
Come, buy wine and milk without money. Go to that wine store and leave your card behind and take the best bottle. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Get the best milk. Get the freshest milk. Get the, get the food. Go to the Whole Foods and fill your basket up and leave your money at home without money and without price. Amen. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to, to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in the richest of foods. That's what God offers you. That's what he's calling to you. It, it, it seems so cruel. He's telling you to let go of your idol, and you think he's telling you to die. He's telling you to let go of your idol and live. He's telling you to let go so you, that you can get in the boat with him and experience a life that you cannot possibly imagine. It is not uh, worry-free. It is not pain-free. It is not even COVID-free. But, oh, we know the end from the beginning because we know the God who rules the end from the beginning. This is the God of these passages. This is the God of these chapters. Would you give yourself to Jesus? Christian, give yourself to Jesus. If you've never believed before, give yourself to Jesus. Why? Because he is the one who brings the richest affairs. Would you believe on him today? Richard Reeves, would you believe on him today? Would we let go of the things that are fears? Would we let go of our anxiety when we take hold of God, understanding he's got hold of us? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, our great and mighty God, Yahweh himself, the one who is the I am, the one who is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Oh, God, forgive us for thinking so small. Forgive us for desiring so little. Forgive us for being content with a little progress in our performance, a little achievement here, a little achievement there. And, oh, God, I just pray that you would love us enough to continue to not fulfill us by the things that we look to, that, oh, God, you would love us enough to tear us apart from the inside out that we might find where real life is. Because, God, one day, someday, even as the passage says, there is a fire that nothing can quench. And, oh, God... I pray that you would redeem your people, that you would revive us as your church, O oh God, that we would love you now more than ever, God. Meet us in this. May we live a lifestyle of repentance, knowing that as we let go, we can only turn to see more of you. Oh God, may we be still and know that you are God. Speak to us. Save us. Meet us even in this moment. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Dear friends, may we respond to the grace and mercy of Jesus as we bring him our uh, tithes and our offerings. You see how to do that uh, if you're at home. Also, we have a basket over here on your way out. You can uh, put money or your tithe in that basket, um, and please do so uh, on your way out in just a little while.